I realize that if you're kind of new to RUF, one of the first things is that uh, people are like, man, those songs are weird. I don't know any of them. And that's okay. Uh, we recognize that. And I want you to hear me say there's actually a reason that we sing what we do. Two things. One, C.S. Lewis used to always say, for every new book that you read, you should read three old ones. Because there's something about age that shows that quality stands the test of time. So most of what we sing, like was written 200 years ago. I know that's not cool, but it has stood the test of time that's been written in new music. But the main reason is this. Jesus has said we should worship in spirit and truth. And there's something about music that is really powerful, that it drives truths into your heart. I can remember songs from fifth grade, and I can't remember what somebody talked to me about yesterday, right? It's the power of music. And so we want to sing songs that tell the truth of who God is, who we are, what it actually feels like to follow Jesus uh, while being a sinner and struggling and all that kind of stuff. So... Keep coming. It's okay uh, if it's uncomfortable. A lot of times actually here on the other end, when you graduate, people end up saying that REF music is one of their favorite things. So I wanted to put that out uh, for you. Um, Okay, we are going to be in Genesis 2. Let me give thanks. I never have anything original. You need to know that. But especially two people tonight, uh, Les Newsom, my former camps minister, and a guy named Tim Keller, who's a pastor. Just much uh, stolen from them, so... Uh, we are looking in Genesis every week this year because we are trying to say maybe your confusion about Christianity, maybe your questions, maybe your boredom with Christianity, maybe it stems from the fact that you, you missed the beginning. Like if you missed the beginning of a movie, you'd be confused. And so here in Genesis 2, we enter the last part of the true story of the world before sin enters it and messes everything up. And so this is another glimpse of how things are supposed to be. And I can remember when I first came uh, to state, I came straight out of seminary, you know, I was ready uh, with all of my, what I thought was Bible intelligence to answer all these hard questions that college students were going to ask about trustworthiness of Bible. And, well, that's great. Feel free to ask me those questions. What I quickly found in the first few months is that anybody that wanted to meet with me, nobody asked me about that. What everybody wanted to talk about was dating relationships, uh, breakups, friendships, or like what they're going to do with their life. And what I began to realize is I don't think that's a coincidence. Like what if the reason that what you're concerned about most is work and relationships is not just because evolution developed that so that, you know, that would be the strongest survival trait, though I admit that kind of, there could be validity behind that. What about, it, what about if it's because you're actually made in the image of a working and relational God? And that's why those things are always central to you. That's what's going to be held out for us in Genesis 2. Let me pray for us. Father, would you um, open our eyes so that we can understand your word? Uh, at least I admit, a lot of times when we read the Bible, um, it can be very confusing. Uh, our thoughts can wander, and that's okay. You are a God of power and mercy, and so we ask that by your spirit you'd help us to understand. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand that you are a God who delights to show mercy, that you're a God of truth, uh, not confusion. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis 1, I'm going to read two verses uh, in chapter 1 and then uh, chapter 2. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then chapter 2, verse 15. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Okay, two things tonight. I hope we see the vitality of relationships and the key to relationships. First, the vitality of relationships. Okay, chapter 2 is not a second creation account as some people argue. It simply zeroes in on the creation of man. Man is so valuable and so central to what God is doing in the story of this world that the tape kind of gets rewound and it says, watch it again, but watch it up close. And so the first man, Adam, has been fashioned by God and he's placed in this garden, the Garden of Eden. And there really is something shocking that happens in verse 18. It should shock us. God has made this world where everything is beautiful, everything is full of life, there is no sin, there is no sorrow, there is no suffering. And every single time that God looks at everything that He made, He says, it is good, it is good. He takes great pleasure in it. But then in verse 14... Even without sin, God says, there is something that's not good. It's not good that man is alone. That's astounding. Adam has everything. He has power. He has comfort. He has money. He has good food. He he even has an untainted relationship with the God of this universe right now. And still, God says, there's something lacking. What's lacking? Trusting and loving relationships with other people. That's what's lacking. That's what I mean by saying relationships are vital. Adam had everything except for a loving relationship with other people. So God says it's not good. And hear me. God says it's not good to be alone. You hear me say this. He doesn't say it's not good to be single. And actually that's an important distinction, okay? Because to be single does not mean, right? If you're not married, that doesn't mean that you're a part of the curse, part of the fall. It's bad to be alone. It's not bad to be single. I'm going to come back to that. So, why is that the case? Why is it the case that it's not good for man to be alone? Well, remember, last week we talked about how God, in chapter 1, and we read this again, that God makes us in His image. And in chapter 1, when he creates man, he uses language of plurality, right? Let us make man in our image. And what you do is you get get a picture of the fact that God, reality itself, who always has been, is a trinity. Three persons, God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Which means this, 
God has always been a community. Always. And so when Adam is made in God's image and, and, he is, and he creates Adam to be a reflection of what God is like, and there are no other persons of the same substance that he can love and delight in, God says, that's not good. Because it's not a reflection of who I am. So the Bible really is saying that you and I are formatted for community. We are made for relationships. And to be alone cuts against the very nature of who you are. And so it's not an overstatement to say that without a loving and trusting relationships in your life, your life will fall apart. You will feel dehumanized. I don't know if you've ever heard of this... um, it's kind of a little-known book. It's uh, called Harry Potter. It's the series uh, that came out a few years ago. And uh, I read it for the first time this summer. I, I'm restraining myself every week, um, only using one. But there, there is this great scene in, uh, I believe, book three, Prisoner of Azkaban, where, as you know, Harry is being dehumanized. Right? Whenever he lives at his uncle and aunt's house, he is cut off from relationships. He's miserable. And there's this great scene in the beginning of that book where it's his birthday. It's Harry's birthday. And he, he's kind of throwing a pity party. He's been a great wizard. He's made all these great accomplishments. He's supposedly becoming who he's supposed to be. But he's miserable. Until these owls start showing up at his house. And he gets letters from Ron Weasley and Hermione and other people that just say, Happy birthday. We love you. And this great quote happens at the end where he says, "Extreme." Uh, Harry took off his glasses, lay down, eyes open, facing his three birthday cards. Extremely unusual though he was at that moment, Harry Potter felt just like everyone else, glad for the first time in his life that it was his, that it was his birthday. Think about that. What changed Harry was not that he was famous, not that he was, quote, becoming successful, but was that people finally looked at him and said, I know you. And you matter, and I love you. It was the fact that he was known and loved changed everything. That's what the Bible is saying. It wants us to feel the weight of relationships. And is that how you view them? Or do you view relationships as getting in the way of what you really need? Success or comfort or, or fill in the blank. This is saying, if you want to know God... If you want to even grow more into who God has made you to be, into His image, a reflection of Him, you cannot do it alone. You can't. If you want to become more patient and more kind and more gentle and more forgiving, all those things that are aspects of godliness, the Bible is saying you can't do it alone. How so? Let's, let's tease it out a couple, a couple ways. First, look, there are a lot of things in my life that need to change, and if you don't realize that, it's just because you don't know me yet. Uh, one of the things is uh, I can hold grudges, all right, and uh, nobody in this room. And uh, so, you know, I've prayed that I'd become a more forgiving person. That's a good thing, right? Here's how I think I'm going to become a more forgiving person usually. I find some passages about forgiveness. I read them. I pray that God would forgive me. I mean, that, that I would become more forgiving. And then somehow magically in a couple weeks I'll be a more forgiving person. I think that's how most of us think change is going to happen. The problem with that is it's completely abstract from people. 
is completely abstract of entering into real relationships with people. The way that God is going to make you like Himself and make you more into His image is yes, do those things, but then go into relationships with people. It actually is going to be, be me having to go into relationships with people that might actually not like me, people that actually hurt me, people that I've hurt, and practicing forgiveness. If you want to develop patience, it's just not going to come mysteriously. It's going to be as you go around people that irritate you, and you realize how impatient you are, and you fail, and that's okay. You come to God for forgiveness, and He keeps developing patience in you. These things only get developed in like real relationships with other people. That's one of the reasons that this thing called the church has never been an optional part of Christianity. It's a very modern thing to think that you can have a relationship with Jesus and not with his church, his people. Because let's think about the local church. The local church, okay, as weird as this sounds, I'm talking about this Thursday night. The local church is a place where you take vows to one another. You really do. And say, I'm committed, I'm all in. I'm going I'm to practice forgiveness and patience and kindness and gentleness towards you. I'm going to stick with you no matter what. And godliness gets developed in the church. And RUF is not the local church. However, RUF is an expression of the church on campus. We're trying to gather a community of people that will understand what godly relationships look like. Which means we hope this is a place that you learn how to be committed to each other. To understand that, yes, like we're going to hurt each other. We're sinners, but we're going to forget each other. We're not going to run the other way. We're going to be patient with each other. So that's one way. Second of all, this is holding out the fact that you don't really know yourself without community. This is one thing that's happening in this passage. When God says it's not good for man to be alone, he makes a helper fit for him. Now, helper is not a belittling term. That word helper is actually used at the Holy Spirit later on in the Bible. It's just a term of completeness. It's a term that gives the idea that this woman, whose, whose name is going to be Eve is bringing something to the table that Adam doesn't have. She is providing something that Adam lacks. And this is the point that God is driving home as he makes all these animals pass in front of uh, Adam over and over again. Adam, it's not good that you should be alone. How about a giraffe? Mm, no. You know, and he keeps passing them forward. But then he creates woman and he presents her to Adam. And you have this first love poem ever written. But look how he speaks. This at last. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. He sees her, he knows her, he loves her, and he finds himself in her. That's what's amazing. Adam didn't know himself. He didn't know he was complete until he had someone like him but different than him outside of him, accepting him and loving him. You simply cannot know yourself apart from other people in your life. You've had to have had the experience where, like, you see a picture of yourself on, like, Instagram, right? And you're like, ah, really? They picked that one? Like, ah. And, and you know, and, and you say, ah, oh, that doesn't look like me, right? And everybody else around you is like, that looks exactly like you, right? <laughs> we, like, we don't even know how we look. Take it one step farther. We don't even really know ourselves too well to know how we come across to people. Like, have you ever been around, and I'm not looking at anybody, I'm sure it's nobody in this room, but have you ever been around one of those unhealthy dating relationships 
where like the, let's pick on the guy, where the guy's like a whiny boyfriend and it's always like, oh, you don't call me enough. You know, why'd you talk to that other guy? Blah, blah, blah. And if you're standing on the outside of it, like he thinks he's being loving and you realize he's being repulsive. Like he has no idea how he's coming across, right? It's okay to admit that. Um, And as you watch those things, have you ever considered, maybe I don't see myself rightly either. Like, maybe I'm functioning in ways that I think are right, and everybody else is like, ooh. We just don't know ourselves as as well as we think we do. And we actually need people outside of us that have eyes that we don't have to look at us and to help us know ourselves. And so that begs the question, like, are there people in your life that you have given access to speak truth into your life? Like, are there people in your life you've given permission that they can call you out? That they can say, frankly, I'm concerned about you because I see this in your life and I don't think you think it's a problem and I think you're actually hurting yourself and people? Do you have friends that you will listen to when they say those things? Because if not, you are missing out on knowing yourself and growing into the likeness of who God has made you to be. And if you say those people aren't there, it's worth considering, not always the case, but it's worth considering maybe you've given people the impression that they have no right to speak into your life because they know it would be bad. They know you'd be defensive or they know you'd be so overly upset that they'll never do that again. And so it helps you see yourself, but also a community of people, like it brings out... It just doesn't show you just your flaws. It also shows you like the potentials of things inside of you that you didn't know that were there, right? God has made you in such a way that it takes a community of people to bring out all the beauty inside of you. My wife is Liza. We've been married for 10 years. And we just discovered this year, and there's actually a breath of fresh air to admit, but we love each other, okay? We go out on dates all the time. But we admitted like sometimes we're kind of boring on dates with each other. And we realized, like, we're a lot more fun when we're on dates with other people. It's actually kind of refreshing to say that. Because, like, other people around us bring out things in me and Liza that I don't. And other beauties. Liza doesn't realize how funny I am. And I need other people to bring out. (laughs) See? Proof. And you know that's true of you. Like there are certain friends that bring out your humor in beautiful ways. There are certain friends that bring your creativity out. There are other people that bring out your care of people in amazing ways. And so it takes a community of people to develop the godliness and beauty that is inside of you. And lastly, have you ever noticed that your joy and your other things increase when it's shared with other people? Right? Adam's joy increases when he has Eve. I have a friend of mine who was telling me about this. <laughs> he loves to play golf, and he was playing golf, and he had this 40, he had this literally 40-foot putt that had this sharp like break. And he hits it and he's watching it and he's thinking it's gonna go in, it's going, and it goes in, and he starts celebrating, and he realizes he's playing by himself. And he said his joy just stopped right there. Because there was no one to, to share it with. But if, there, but if we had been with him, right, the joy would have just increased. And you know that's true. If you want to become more joyful, share your joys. Run to people with your joys. Share your life with people. 
be a person that others run to you with their joys, right? That's why Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice. But it also means this. If you want to grow in godliness, you've got to learn to share your sorrow. And we'll talk about this more in, in the coming weeks. But look, last Thursday, okay, when it was reported there's an active shooter on campus, and I know everybody's saying, well, there wasn't a real threat and all that. You know, that doesn't change what that hour felt like. Okay? And I think it's especially hard for some of you freshmen. You need to hear me say this. Some of you freshmen feel crazy that on Saturday you were still struggling with this and having trouble sleeping. And I'm not trying to make this simple, but one of the reasons is this. You didn't have anybody to share your sorrow with. And sharing sorrow, walking with people, has a way of healing. And to, and to not do that actually dehumanizes us. I'm mean, saying, if you want to hate sin more, if you want to grow in godliness, then start confessing sin in community. Start confessing sin to people that you hurt, and you'll feel the reality of its evil. And, even, and if you're not a Christian now, if you're trying to figure it out, just consider this. Consider biblical anthropology. Do things like depression and shame and anger and bitterness, don't they just grow in isolation? What if that's not just happen chance because you're made in the image of a relational God? So you were made for relationships. They are vital. It's why you simply won't change without community. But you can think... Listening to sermons on your iPod will change you, or coming every Thursday night and listening to this will change you, and sure. But you want the fullness of God's change? You actually have to be in real relationships with people. That's how He works. So, what's the key? How do we actually do this? That all sounds great. Until you realize, like, it's really hard. Because what you realize is you can be alone. And have tons of people around you. And that's actually worse. Right? Many of your freshmen are feeling this. It's not just freshmen. Some of you are juniors. And you still feel like, I have tons of people around me. And I'm very alone. What do you mean by that? It means nobody knows me. Nobody really knows what I'm like. Nobody really knows what I love. Nobody really knows what I'm sad about. And I don't know that about other people. And so what you see that God gives us is real relationships. And he does it here with Adam in marriage. And this, this first marriage is a picture of how things are supposed to be. You see this perfect relationship, this perfect marriage. They complete each other perfectly. They both bring to the table things that the other person doesn't, don't have. They, they hold fast to one another. There's real commitment there. But here's the key. It says they were naked and unashamed. That's the key. Adam and Eve at this point were completely exposed to each other. Yes, physically, but also spiritually, emotionally, every single part of them. There was nothing hidden. And yet Adam looked in the eyes of Eve and knew that there was nothing there but love and acceptance. And Eve looked at Adam and knew she was completely exposed and knew that there was nothing there but delight, love, and acceptance. So what characterized their relationship was intimacy and safety. And those things always go together, actually. They could share life with each other without fearing rejection, without fearing jealousy, without fearing embarrassment. And so it actually only enhanced their joy. And that's the crux, right? We all want to be known and loved. 
we all realize that if I'm known, I think I'm going to be rejected. And so we play the game. Right, Chris Rock, great theologian, said usually when you, when you meet somebody for the first time, you actually don't meet them, you, you meet the best picture of me. Like you meet my representative. And that's actually true. Because what we, the fight is, if you're going to love me, I can't let you know me. And so I've got to spin your opinion of me always. Always got to make you think I'm better than I am. Always got to make you think that I'm funnier than I am. Or I just have to hide. So how do we in the world start having relationships where we can be known and loved even though that we know that we're a mess? And we're really going to get into this next week. But I, I just, I'll give you a little taste. You have to see what marriage ultimately is pointing to. Marriage was real, yes, but Ephesians 5 tells us something. And this is why it's not that it's bad to be single. It's bad to be alone. Because Ephesians 5 tells us, look, this word is overused, but this is amazing, okay? It tells us, you know that whole bone of bone, flesh of flesh thing about Adam and Eve? You know how the two shall become one flesh? You think that's about marriage? Sure. It's really about Jesus' love for his church. Listen again, Ephesians 5. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Adam and Eve. No, to Christ and the church. This is incredible. You are made for relationships, absolutely. You are made for relationships first and foremost with God. But also with other people. You were made to know that the God of this universe looks at you and sees you to your core. And there's nothing there but delight and acceptance. And you were made to know that with other people. And get ready. According to Ephesians 5, God the Son takes on human flesh. He becomes human. So that He can marry us. So that He can bring you to such a relationship of such safety and such intimacy... That you can know that he sees you all the way to the core. All the way to the core. And says, I love it. You bring me great joy. And you say, how? I don't even like myself most days. How can that be true? Well, it can only be true if the God of this universe loves you so much. He didn't want man to be alone. That he takes on flesh and he goes to the cross... And he takes all the stuff that we're ashamed of, all the stuff that, that, that if we were to reveal to others, people would reject us. And on the cross, ready? He becomes alone. He gets rejected by all his friends. And he gets rejected by his heavenly Father as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He does that so that you can be covered. So that you can be beautiful in his sight. So that, this is my new favorite wedding illustration. Okay, I'm going to end here. If y'all know Ben Watson, anybody remember Ben Watson? So Ben Watson, I got to do his wedding this, this summer. Uh, ben, if you're listening to this, um, it was a great wedding. Uh, it really was amazing. Ben, uh, ben, I was actually behind Ben. It was a very long aisle, which I knew was going to be torture for him. And as the doors opened up, and he caught his first glimpse of uh, Mary Lance, her name, Mary Lance, and her dad coming down the aisle. I've never seen anything like this. I was behind him. All I could hear was like the, 
And like shoulders were going, like there were, there were tears coming out of his face. I honestly didn't think he was going to make it. And as she makes it down the aisle, you know, they finally turn and they face us and we kind of do the whole thing like who gives this woman to be married to this man. And as the dad kisses Mary Lant and hands her off to Ben, he leans over and he whispers something to Ben and it happens again. Like he, he like almost collapses again. As he is so overwhelmed, here's what's happening. He's so overwhelmed that Mary Lant's dad has presented her to him and entrusted her to him in such radiant beauty. And hear what this is saying. Right? God brought Eve to Adam and he rejoiced. Do you know what's going to happen one day? If you trust in Christ, God the Father is going to present you to Jesus. And Jesus will be so overwhelmed of the beauty and the joy that He has in you that His knees will buckle. He'll heave tears of delight as God the Father entrusts His church to Jesus. That's what's coming. That's actually what's true of you today if you're covered in Jesus. And if you know that that you are loved and accepted by the cosmic eyes of the God of this universe. It doesn't make relationships easy, but it provides a stability that you can actually move out into people's lives and actually be known and begin to know people. And even if you get rejected, it doesn't have to be the end. Because Jesus finds you fascinatingly beautiful. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, would you... Uh, Would you drive this truth into our hearts? It seems too good to believe that Genesis 2 is ultimately about how you view us, your bride. Man, you are a God, though, who who makes the unbelievable believable. So for those of us who are sitting here tonight saying, yeah, that's true of some people, but not me. You don't know what my week looks like. You don't know what my whole college life has looked like. Would you convince them that the purity of Jesus can cover any impurity that we bring. And for the rest of us, maybe many of us have been walking with you for a long time and we're really bored. Would you ignite us again by letting us see how you see us, that in you we are loved and accepted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.